and when you deliver more than that's expected of you words do pass around about your credibility and your capability so people do know who you are and people do acknowledge that you have that reputation Hello and welcome to the Mentors Edition. I'm Michelle Chikanda and today we're going to be trying to answer the age-old question which is should I stay or should I go? Oftentimes in our careers we feel like the only way we can get further ahead that we can speed up our our career trajectory if you like is to move to a different organization. And today I'm going to be speaking to a woman who in my opinion is a force of nature. She has proven that you don't have to do that that there can be great fulfillment from staying in one organization but allowing yourself to grow with and within that organization. Angela Srinivasan is currently the Wealth Model Transformation Lead in the UK. When we last spoke she was the COO of Global Marketing for HSBC. So even since we last spoke she's moved roles she's been promoted again we cannot keep up with this woman. What I love about Angela's story though is she talks about the power of your mindset. She talks about you know how her, she has a system for what it takes to succeed. And I want to share her story mainly because it's all about how she managed to get visibility within one organization sometimes we feel like we are not seen sometimes we feel as though there is nothing we can do in our organization and what i love about angela's story is that it gives the power back to you um so here you go grab a pen and paper get ready to take notes i know i'm old school some of us take notes on our on our gadgets but do what you need to do because This is so jam-packed full of inspiration and ideas and wisdom and the way that she describes her journey from India to dominating in the UK is something that you have to see. I'm not going to say any more. Here is Angela. Okay, Angela, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited about, you know, our conversation having spoken before. Um I know that there's so much you have to share. But I guess I have to start from the beginning because there's always the assumption that you know somebody was born this way is it nurture versus nurture etc. So tell us a little bit about your your childhood. Tell us a bit of you know how did you grow up? What kind of household? And um, what 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 sort of lessons were instilled as you as a child? How did this all begin? Sure, Michelle, and thank you so much for having me. It's going to be really nice. I'm sure it was wonderful to speak to you the other day as well. the first thing that comes to my mind about how i grew up was happy right the atmosphere at home was with lots of people coming we were a very welcoming family of people across all ages because we lived as three generations in one room so granddad's friends dad's friends my friends my brother's friends my mom's friends we had everyone coming home so the house was always buzzing with people the kitchen was always running full time everyone who came home mostly had a meal or a drink before they left so that was something which was really really powerful the other thing was there was plenty of music across genres we were a musical family we used to almost describe ourselves as the one trop family uh, and there was singing my brother played the guitar my dad used to play the harmonica and so we were a very musical family so um and of course i made some greatest of friends in school they are my closest of friends even today so i have friendships of more than 40 odd years which i'm really really 
happy and proud of god so in many many ways i just say happy very very happy uh, i was the youngest in the house uh, my granddad's uh, pet grandchild and only granddaughter and we were incredibly close so my granddad and i shared a lot of time together and uh, when you ask me about values it i think when you live under th- you know three generations under one roof it's not something that you're so conscious about i think it comes through very naturally so i would say care respect and diversity of thought and outlook was something that i over the years have realized was instilled during that childhood phase of growing in a family such as ours so that was something that i would call as my values and they just get instilled in you yeah and and, and tell us a little bit about you know being the only grandchild you know being a girl is often seen as a as a burden what was that like for you being that dynamic you know there's lots of cooking happening in the house there's lots of music there's lots of, what was your role in that and and how did you feel about being a girl I and mean, we probably don't think about it when we were much younger but what was that experience like for you so i think unusual for our family there were always fewer girls than boys so i was the only granddaughter so my granddad had two other grandchildren and they were sons so i think i was special in that way so i didn't necessarily have that feeling of being girl and being different because i was a girl there was an element of extra special in that household and so there was always that feeling of being that you know that one exclusive one and when you talk about girl and and cooking and things like that my mom had a very different view for me so she didn't necessarily teach me how to cook michelle uh for someone of that generation she decided that kitchen hours were not something that i must have she probably had bigger dreams for me and she believed that i could do much more than that and somewhere in her mind culinary skills was something that you need to pick when there is an absolute need to not something that's a must have interestingly i never cooked till almost my 40th year i started <laughs> only after that and i would say that the pandemic has been the one that's actually honed my cooking skills because you had no choice so she is absolutely right in many ways i believe i lived her dreams but uh, cooking was not something that i was involved in during that home in that period during my childhood okay so there's magic in that because i mean most parents when you know a woman of of that time not teaching her daughter how to cook for me strikes me as uh, uh, um what's the word i'm looking for unusual and you not just unusual but before her time right um and also let's be realistic the the dynamic the cultural implications of that right and and a woman just saying no I, my daughter doesn't need to cook which is the truth yeah but um i feel like you know being a, a thought leader in that respect and that being um given to you a precious gift given to mm-hmm. you an age i would also add an element of boldness michelle because i think it takes courage to actually you know make some of those choices and the choice she made was no you don't need i don't need to teach you this this is something that you can pick there are other skills that we can focus on yeah. and that you're someone more than just being able to you know manage a kitchen and that requires an element of you know like you say forward thinking thinking ahead and then being able to be different from what others would expect in that time so right uh, i am really grateful for that and i'm glad that i've been able to live her dreams in more ways than one 
Uh, and of course, today I I do cook reasonably well, and it's something that I picked <laughs> up only now. Yeah, you're yeah, just a caveat, but but it's right. There's there's a lot of the times when we are younger, we I certainly was told you have to know how to run a household, right? You have to know how to cook, you have to know how to clean. But again, anybody can acquire those skills. What your mother gave you was the ability to say, focus on other things, focus on the things that won't necessarily come your way by default, um, and 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 that is a precious gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. And I, and I think that she taught you to be okay, I guess, by that, uh, by not teaching you how to cook. She taught you, taught you to be okay to not accept everything, right? Why should you have, be able to cook because you're Indeed. a girl? Indeed. Um, and I, and I, I loved that. I absolutely love that. Let's move on a little bit because there was another person in your childhood who shaped your thinking in a nonlinear way. Yes, and I recall our conversation when we last spoke. So my dad's youngest sister, she lived with us and she was born with cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. And in her, of course, she was born at a time when she lived 44 years with that condition. And her cerebral palsy was probably one of the extremes where her ability to move was negligible, as in she couldn't move without assistance. She had a vocabulary of probably just 10 words that could just express whether she had needs. Mm -hmm. Uh, She definitely had a little kiss that would express gratitude. And so she could just, you know, smack her lips in a very sweet way. But I think one thing that she had, which was really astounding, was she was perpetually with a smile, a happy face. And so when I mentioned happy at the start, I think somewhere without very consciously thinking about it because she lived for the first 15 years of my life. But when I look back, I think in many ways there was this, if she can be happy, everyone can. And somehow that became part of my thinking that I'm mostly a person, I'm always with a smile. Uh, And I think I'll also add here that um, my dad has also had that influence on me in, in, quite a few ways and he would always talk about things being you know sometimes preordained or life will throw at you curved balls right and what he instilled was what's in your control is the attitude you choose as these unfold that was true even when he was diagnosed with terminal stage of cancer he reminded me about it and said that the attitude you choose as things unfold is in your gift so take it in your stride And so I think between them, uh, somewhere there is this positive attitude that's just become part of me, that I take things in my stride. I look at things in with a glass half full attitude. I look at it with perspective, saying if she could be happy, I can be happy. And, you know, you look at the sum of everything, not that one moment where things will go up and down in life. So there is that positive mindset that has got instilled as part of my upbringing, but very unconsciously, Michelle, it's just over the years when I've reflected, I realized that those are things that have actually formed part of my wiring. Absolutely. But what we do is when we dissect these things and we unpick this, these things, those of us that have children can actually see some of the things that they can instill in their own children, right? What I love about that is, so you grow up, you have a grandfather who says you're a girl, therefore you're extra special, which is counter to the, contrary to the norm. You have a mother who says you're a girl, therefore you're not going to cook. (laughs) 
contrary to the norm. And you have an aunt who has very little, um, for, 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 the, for, for, for a lot of us from the outside looking in, she has very little, but she's always smiling, teaching you about positivity. And then you have a father who says, life's going to throw things at you, you know, but you're going to, but you're going to overcome. It's within your gift. So this all happens before you are, I don't know, before, whilst you're in your teens, whilst you're a child. So tell us a little bit about what happens, you know, when you're thinking about what am I going to study now? You're a little bit older and then you decide to choose accounting. Why did you decide to go down that road? I come from a family of accountants. Uh, my brother and I are the seventh generation accountants. So my granddad's great-granddad, I believe, was the chief accountant of the village, right? So I did pick finance for my undergrad, uh, clearly out of elimination that I would be better in that than the sciences and or arts. So yeah. that's how I chose to study finance for my undergrad. But studying to be a chartered accountant was not my first choice at all, Michelle. Uh, I had seen my brother study to be a chartered accountant, a bright, intelligent guy, who spent 18 hours studying for that course. And yeah. in many ways, it was somewhat intimidating to think about, oh my God, if that's the kind of effort that's required, I'm not too sure whether I want to follow that path. But as I finish my undergrad, you know, when you start to look at this, it cannot be ending here. You ought to look at what next. And um, my husband, whom I was dating back then, was very clear that, you know, you need to think of what's next this is when my brother actually convinced me that I could actually take CA as a course uh, and I think one thing that he did tell me then was and knowing very well that I was rather intimidated by the hours he spent was that he saw in me an ability to be quite focused and structured and he said those two attributes that you have will actually make you see you through this exam you might do it slightly differently than I but then you have the ability to do it as well. So I'd say he instilled that element of confidence. Now, of course, when I got into the course, it was a roller coaster ride. It's very demanding. <laughs> it requires the same amount of effort. I don't believe anyone is spared of that effort at all. But when I look back, I'm glad he convinced me to do it because I've had a fantastic career. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad that I did take that path. It felt a bit hard and, you know, it's one that no one escapes in terms of the effort you need to put in, but it was being incredibly rewarding. Uh, he was my first boss, so he was the most demanding of all uh, and the hardest I've had. He knows that. I've said that to him multiple times. <laughs> he takes great pride in who I am today. And so whenever there's a recognition, he doesn't fail to acknowledge that she was once my apprentice. So, yes, I mean, yeah. he had a big influence, but that's how I went about actually picking this course and then completing the course as well. I think I absolutely love that. What I love about that story is sometimes people see things in you that you can't see in yourself. You mm -hmm. saw that course and you were like, there's no way. I'm not going to survive. But he was like, no, actually look at your strengths and your strengths actually lend themselves really well. And he communicated that to you. And I think, again, your childhood and your upbringing and the family that you have were undoubtedly your greatest source of wealth. You know, being able to be given such gifts and being, you know, pushed in the, in, in the right direction. Because some people might have resented uh, the fact that they come from a family of accountants and having to do that. 
but actually the way that it was done, you know, the way that you, your family and, and you went about it and the gifts that they gave you along the way makes it special. Um, and, and it's a moment for sometimes we don't, we always want money or to grow up, to be wealthy, but sometimes the richness is actually in those familial experience, in those words of wisdom, in that guidance um, that sometimes we don't appreciate because we don't necessarily spend the time reflecting on mm -hmm. it. And I love that in your story, it is essentially what has made you you. No doubt. Different no people doubt. In, this, in these different ways. So no amount of books could have taught you that, no amount of money could have given you that. Um, and so this is, again, another example of the richness that can come from our relationships um, and the power in them. Okay, so you then start to work for your fat for the family business. And then what happens? Okay. Uh, yes, yeah, so the, the three-year course was intense. And then I, I took a short break after I sat for my CA final. So rather as I finished my apprenticeship, I also married my childhood sweetheart before I took my final exams. Now, uh, that could feel a bit, you know, in terms of timing, is this the right thing to do? Because I think like sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether everyone saw it as in, you know, potential sabotage. There were definitely jitters in terms of how am I going to manage the excitement of being a newlywed and tackle a course as challenging as that. And I think somewhere... For me, it was the confidence that the support I have from my to-be husband and his family is going to be something that's going to make me see this through. Uh, also, I think not being in my own home where they're already accountants, qualified accountants towering over me sometimes felt like probably less of pressure to actually, you know, form my own path. And so uh, being part of my husband's family and their incredible support, I think I had all the continued encouragement to do whatever was needed to get the right outcome. Uh -huh. So I had no trepidations at all. I was very clear I was doing the right thing. I know others did, but it wasn't something that I was concerned about because this was in my control and this was something that I had. And in fact, when I did clear Michelle, my dad congratulated my husband along with me because he felt that without his support, it wouldn't have been something that would have been possible. So I was telling you, I took a short break after I did my exams. And this was the time I was reflecting on what next. And in those three years of work, break, you quit the family business. You quit your job. I didn't quit the job yet. I, I wrote the exams. I finished my apprenticeship uh -huh. and I decide that till the results are out, I'm going to take a break. Okay. And during that period of taking a break, it was a period of reflection. As in, depending on what the result and outcome is going to be, this is probably my time to think about, you know, who is Anjana and is Anjana more than daughter of, sister of. Yeah. And I started to think about how do I start to make a name for myself? How do I carve my own? And that's about the time I started to form this feeling that I need to move away from the family firm to establish my own reputation, my own credibility, my own worth. Mm -hmm. And so when my results were out and I knew I had cleared, I, had, I spoke with my brother and I said, I think I've made my mind to move into industry. I want to work for a bit elsewhere. And he was perfectly fine with it. But his only advice was, till you land that role, continue in the family firm because you'll continue to gain some experience. So continue to do that. When you do land a job, then, of course, I'll let you go. 
and uh, somewhere there was a feeling that i might come back and you know but here i am uh, near 20 years 20, yeah 20 something years later and you never look back <laughs> so so you obviously then uh, move on and you start working at hsbc how did you get that job and you know what was happening in your really weird uh, what what happened how did you get the job at hsbc So uh, HSBC was just about setting up their back office operations across India in those times, and there was definitely one large center that was coming up in Bangalore. My friend just happened to mention, saying, "Hey, uh, I'm happy to drop your CV because the recruiters are right next to my office, and there's just a drop box where anyone can drop their CV." So I, she did that on my behalf, and then of, of course. it was seven or eight rounds of interview if i recollect before i landed my role as assistant manager operations in their cards division uh, i was super excited a to be part of such a big brand an international bank and uh, as i discussed with my brother that when the time comes i would leave it was nicely well rounded because from the time i had knew i had the job till i had to take it i had approximately about 6 to 8 weeks time so it was good for me to do that handover i took another 3 4 weeks of break before i started off with hsbc and uh, one story that i usually share is 6 weeks into hsbc my first proper job i'm pregnant and now you can imagine all the thoughts that's racing in my head right it's like, like even before the start are you trying to put a full a full stop or a pause or whatever it is right and it's yeah. a combination of happiness there's a combination of happiness awkwardness because you want to the first thing you want to speak with your manager about is maternity leave could you try again and then of course there is this you know new place of work how do you actually navigate all that and to add to the mix Great. my Glad husband actually it. gets an opportunity elsewhere uh, in another city and he's looking at a potential relocation so there is everything that's added to the mix literally when my dad prepared me for curveballs there were many of them coming <laughs> at the same time right and so all of these things are happening uh, and i must share that my my best friend's mom had once told me that you know because she knew i got married i qualified to being an accountant i'm going to start working and so she told me that even if you were to become a mom along the way don't think of it being as something that needs to stop you for the capabilities you have motherhood is something that you can do alongside a full time job because she had a career unlike my mom who was a stay at home mom she was a mom who worked and managed having children so she put that thought in me saying you know don't necessarily quit so what i decided to do was i have 8 months plus to think all of this through let me just focus you and enjoy what yeah. i'm doing now and But just focus on the job first, yeah But when you first told me about you know getting pregnant i thought your poor manager she's just recruited this superstar and 6 weeks later the superstar is uh oh <laughs> you by the way i mean you won't be surprised she actually said don't you know the story of the birds and the bees and you should have given me some more time and some more notice but she was incredibly supportive right the first thing when i did tell her was she's like you know you you're fantastic let's see this phase through i know that you're going to be eventually relocating 
let's, you know, let's talk about it when the time comes. So the eight months that I did have was a job that I loved. It was fantastic. We had the most amazing people. We were constantly learning. We were growing. And I did not focus on anything other than excelling. And if it's one of the three things that, you know, has stood by me is when you're in a current role, do not compromise on performing to your best abilities in that role. And that's something that I have maintained throughout in every role I've taken. And so that eight months for me was proving my worth that before I go off on maternity leave, there is enough about me that can be acknowledged as capable of retaining and having even on a continued basis, albeit the fact I might have to move to a new city. So when the time came for me to take off, she said, take your time off. Do not quit. We will work something out for you in that new city. But when the time is right, but just enjoy this period now, take that time off. And so that's how she let me go. Today, if you think about it, of mentors, sponsors, they're you know, concepts that we talk about so comfortably. Back in the day, we didn't necessarily acknowledge the roles of what these people actually played for us. And for me, she was a mentor, sponsor and something more. Because when the time did come after I had taken my break, uh, four months into my maternity break, she had reached out to my husband and said, looks like there's an opportunity coming up. So your men- your sponsor, uh, your, your, your manager, um, reaches out to your husband, not to you. Because she's strategic, I, I guess. When you told me this, I thought, wow, what a strategic move. Because you're there in baby brain mode, fully absorbed so she says okay I need my superstar back now and she reaches out to your husband Mm -hmm. and what happens all right so by this time I've already moved cities right I've taken a two-month-old infant and I've moved from Bangalore to Hyderabad right and there is it's it's much harder to have your baby outside of you than inside of you because there's just so much you're coping with (laughs) right my brain was perpetually filled with when's the next feed? I wasn't necessarily thinking about my career, next steps or any of it, right? I was just, I was trying to be the best mom ever without feeling overwhelmed with those responsibilities. So that was, that was the only thing in my mind. Mm-hmm. And then I have my ex-manager reaching out to my husband saying, hey, can you go home and give your wife a break? Because I want to speak to her. I think there is an opportunity coming up. So, it's so strategic of her to actually, you know, put in that onus and responsibility in the husband saying, you go home, relieve her of childcare for a bit. I need to have a peaceful conversation. And in that conversation, she talks to me about an opportunity with the promotion and says that I'd be fantastic for that role. And I just need to turn up for the interview because she said she'd got the right permissions to get an HR sign off because no one returns a maternity with a promotion. Exactly. So she needed uh, a sign off because I had not even worked for one whole year in the bank. It was just about nine months. So she, and she updated my CV and she applied for me. So okay. when you think of this person, they're more than just a mentor sponsor. Okay. So, but but and I and I agree. I mean, this 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 woman sounds like a force of nature. Not only was she strategic, but she saw something in you, mm-hmm. and, and also she saw an opportunity to grow the business at the same time using the skill set that you brought. One question that everybody is wondering is: Okay, you were pregnant pretty much straight away. What did you do? <laughs> 
such that this woman sees all this potential in you, that she's willing to do all of that for you, even though on the face of it, it looks like you let her down by getting pregnant. What did you do in that period of time? What mindset did you have? What was happening? So in that focus in the role that I had, and because I was probably the only accountant in the mix of people she recruited, she'd given me an extra specific task on setting up a unique unit within the operations team, because that required an eye for detail, that required something which needed to be set up from A to Z. Mm -hmm. As part of that, she saw that potential. I mean, it's my first time job, it's my first time in the organization, and I'm establishing an entirely new capability within the larger team. Also within the first four weeks, I was able to identify, you know, external fraud in that activity. And the bank had had this process for a number of years and externally managed by a third party, and they were not able to detect it. So part of my identification of that piece meant that we, you know, instilled fraud training for the process as well. So there was lots of things that could get delivered. The outcome was visible, even though it was a very short period of time. And so setting up that separate unit, you know, identifying fraud training as a requirement in this process, because we could save the bank multiple, you know, millions of dollars, if we do do that as part of the process, all of that was just something that came about during that short nine month period. So I think I had the platform to demonstrate my abilities. And as the opportunities came, I just seized them. And even I recollect having a first career conversation with her and she was my skip level manager. She wasn't my immediate manager. I remember having a conversation with her and she is like, you know, would you consider, you know, the next role from an assistant manager to a manager? And I'm like six months pregnant and I'm nodding my head, Michelle saying yes. Uh, Not even thinking about, okay, when is this going to happen? I'm just saying, yes, I will be ready when the time comes. And so. uh, Pregnant this whole time. Most people are like gas off the pedal I'm pregnant, let me just rest. You're like gas on the pedal. (laughs) Yes, 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 let's find opportunities. Let's grow this business, let's move forward. And and, you know, whatever comes my way, I'm gonna tackle it head on. No, it was buzzing. Yeah, I was buzzing with energy and positivity and it was just the most delightful period of my life in the sense that I enjoyed that phase and I enjoyed that ability to contribute. I enjoyed some of the recognition I had for those contributions. So it was very, very rewarding. And so I was not gas off the pedal at all. I was more gas on because I thought, if I have to prove my word, this is the time to prove it. And so taking you know foot off would only make things harder. So why do that? So it's, it's not something that I do at all when I start a role. It's like, it's always foot on the pedal, gas pumping. Exactly. I, I absolutely love that. So your 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 manager organizes this new role for you, and you know you then go in. You know, after maternity, you've got a baby. You've got a very young baby. You've got a, a new family. How did you navigate that that change? Because it's not easy, and a lot of people have to make that transition back into work. You're virtually a different person uh, than you were when you left. How did you navigate that period? It was simpler because I got the support of my parents as well. So the moment they knew that I'm signing up for a role again, 
my mom just decided that I'm packing bags and I'm shifting to your place to help you look after your baby. Amazing. Yeah, and she didn't need to check with anyone. It was a call that she took by herself. And my poor dad had no choice but to just follow <laughs> her. So he had to come along as well. So I think I had that support system at home, which made me think of work with the right focus again. So the fact that you can focus on excelling because you don't have to worry about home. You don't have to think about a nanny saying it's time I need to leave. You need to rush back. It was mom and dad at home. And for me, the peace of mind that my child's going to be brought up by whom I was brought up. And he's going to have the benefit of having three generations under one roof, which is what I grew up with as well. So it felt like the right win-win. So there was never that you know, constant worrying about leaving an infant at home, I had the flexibility of, we lived very close to work. So I had the flexibility to come back for a short while and go back. So I just, it just worked because I was able to draw the right support at the right time, Michelle. And I think that's the second thing that worked for me is to be able to use your support system to its fullest self. Whether it was my husband, my parents, my mentors, my sponsors, not hesitating to be able to leverage your entire support network. Because if you wish to do something, join the support. Don't hesitate because you are your biggest limitation for most part. And if you know how to draw in the right support, things can actually work for you. It's about asking for help, right? And saying like, look, I, and I not being Exactly. And not being worried to ask for help because at the most, the answer can be no. But you never know. The answer could be yes as well. And so, you know, don't stop yourself from asking, because if you ask, there's a very good chance you'll get it. So, And if you don't keep moving as well, right, you find other ways to to leverage this. I want to talk about this moment where you go back into into work, you've got a promotion. This has happened to you over and over again. You've been with HSBC for over 20 years. So many times throughout your career, you've been thrown into the deep end. Uh, This idea of, you know, coming back from maternity leave with a baby promotion, new job, bigger responsibilities, moving countries. um, You know, you're now in the UK before that you were in Hong Kong, thrown in at the deep end. (laughs) How have you navigated this change and this idea that whenever you move, you're moving into more responsibility um, and into the unknown? So, I mean, it sounds very cliche, but, you know, change is the only constant and adapting to change can only make you more resilient. Uh, personally, I think I embrace change with excitement and that positivity of what it could look like. And going into a bit of that unknown and being back on learning curve is also an exciting thing for me. So I'm not someone who walks away from that change. I actually jumped right into it. And I think you, one comes up with your creative best solutions when you are challenged and when you're put in that deep end. And so Uh, coming out rising is something that is exciting of that process. And so that's something that I've done. And um, my roles have made me travel across countries and across cultures. So I have actually watched a number of wonderful people and wonderful leaders that have been able to instill, you know, uh, aspiration in me. I've been inspired by them. And so I've drawn from those learnings and those experiences. And I see myself as someone who's perpetually aspiring for something. I don't stop aspiring. So I think of the 
three things that I mentioned. Third thing for me is it's never maybe stopping from aspiring. And so when you're in the waters, jump in and swim across, you know, don't pause and don't worry about drowning because if you, you're worrying about it, then you're not going to be swimming. So you're going to just allow yourself to drown. So just keep moving, keep propelling. And, you know, the more you act, even if things do go wrong, you can always course correct. So it's like using every ounce of energy to focus on the result that you want rather than wasting energy, you know, losing energy on the things that you can Absolutely. happen. But tell me this. I mean, you've had so many opportunities, as you've said. How did you manage to gain visibility? Uh, because your roles have been varied across the years. You seem to just go from promotion to promotion to promotion to promotion. <laughs> How did you manage to do that? Because some of us have had to do that across organizations. How did you manage to achieve this within one organization, gaining that visibility where people say, I want to give Angela that opportunity? How did you manage to get people to see you? Mm-hmm. It comes back to those three things that work for me but you know you're it's a great question because people do ask me how do you how do you sustain visibility and you know and it's not it's not formulaic at all because you know you can build visibility you can establish credibility and reputation and and then of course if you move from one country to another it's almost like a taxi meter down again and you're starting again right and so you have to really start from the grassroots levels again but when you build trusting relationships somehow those capabilities are things that you take along even when you're starting afresh so you start to look at it once more so where the visibility is help for me is one is i've always tried to focus like i said on excelling in my current role and when you deliver more than that's expected of you words do pass around about your credibility and your capability so people do know who you are and people do acknowledge that you have that reputation in fact one of my managers said i i used to be hesitant about talking about mobility because i wasn't too sure whether i can relocate and so any time that conversation came i would shy away from that conversation until one year when i did ask saying you know must i move or must i demonstrate flexibility to move out to the country and this manager of mine said your talent will worthy of export so why would you shy away from thinking about it and you know that that mechanism of actually communicating mobility to someone is quite reassuring because you start to look at yourself as talent worthy of export as opposed to uh, i have to be transferred now yeah and, uh, and that's how i was open about it and in fact this entire move to hong kong just happened in a very casual instance i was trying to recruit for an asia pacific lead i wasn't able to find one so i decided to go to hong kong with boots on ground and thinking okay let me find my asia pacific regional head you know sitting here oh, and yeah, trying yeah. to recruit from there and you know one week in i'm not necessarily getting the right candidate and i just casually mentioned to my sponsor who's been a sponsor now for 15 plus years is a role model sponsor uh, you know it i mean it, it is something that is unusual in the way he is actually demonstrates that sponsorship and i just mentioned to him you know what if i do not find this regional head i might just have to do my global role sitting in hong kong and i say that as a very very casual remark and he says yeah. can you do that <laughs> if you were to make that move it would be fantastic for your career 
right? And I did tell him that I travel all the time. And he said, there's a different experience you gain from just traveling versus actually being moving and living in another country and adapting to another culture. What it'll make of you will be completely different. Of course, I had to come back, read, you know, engage with the families, speak about what that opportunity looks like. And we were like, if it works for the unit as a whole, let's pack bags and let's move. And that's the same approach we had for three years after Hong Kong to do the same to London. So excelling in what you do and being, you know, being, making that excellence, being visible to all of the stakeholders that matter. Second is drawing that support, not hesitating to speak your mind and not hesitating to ask for support or help, uh, is whether it's from family or from your sponsors or mentors. I've really, really drawn that support. And uh, the last one is not to stop aspiring. There isn't, your, your career is almost like a canvas that doesn't have any ends and boundaries. And the paints are in your hand. You decide how much you want to paint because the canvas will keep flowing. So that's how I look at it in terms of, you know, so you, you when you think about it that way, you will use all of your abilities to be able to establish that credibility and that relationship with people. And so you sustain that visibility. I love that. I think, I think that's a, a really good guide about how to go about thinking about things. But I do have to say that us mere mortals <laughs> sometimes experience imposter syndrome, right? Go, okay, fine, I might move to Hong Kong, but can I do it? Uh, you know, oh, now I'm around these big, important people. You know, I don't know if I'm worthy of being here, etc. How did you manage to, how do you, uh, or in all those different situations, and I'm sure there's plenty more to come as you continue, your star continues to rise, how have you managed to deal with that? I've never felt like an imposter. It's something that I've had a number of promotions, you know, quick ones at that. And I always felt that the senior leaders who gave me those promotions saw potential in me and believed in my abilities. And that was my responsibility to live up to their expectation. So if I had to start worrying about not being able to do things, then my focus will shift from being excelling in what I need to do and start worrying about things that are honestly inconsequential because your worries are things that can actually take you down a path which is unnecessary. So when I have had those roles much faster than many others, I have believed that I've had to live up to that expectation. So the focus instantly is about what I can do, what I should be doing to get on to the, you know, on this up running without necessarily having pauses and worrying about what cannot happen. And that's the fun. Like I said, I embrace that change. So there is that little bit of adrenal rush in trying to figure something out. And it is not necessarily one that pushes me into that, imposter syndrome mode at all. So I think I'm quite fortunate. I tell a lot of women whom I mentor saying, do not think about the things you cannot do in a job. No one picks every aspect of a job description A to Z, right? If you're 80%, awesome is good enough. You don't have to be perfect. And over time, you will develop the balance 20%. And we are all one that will progress from starting at some point. And we definitely evolve with those additional 
you know, inputs and support and learning. And so it is a journey. So you can't expect to be this perfect person in a new role on day one. Absolutely. And I, and I think that is something that we all, we all crave. We all crave to walk in being the expert, but what we don't acknowledge is that there's no room to, to grow and there's no room to run. And that 80% for me, if I, if I have 80%, that's plenty. I always sort of think if I'm three quarters of the way, 75% of the way. Good enough, indeed, for each one. Because I have some room to learn. I have some room to grow. I don't want to be 100%. Indeed. And that 75% is immense for you to even contribute ably in that role, right? And so you're able to show 75% before anyone even realizes that you're equipping yourself with the balance 25. So you might as well focus on, you know, showing them that your 75% is of more value than the 25% you're, you know, you're seeking to learn, because that's the value you're going to gain, but they're already getting 75% of your value. Yeah, I mean, I want to come to your current job. Um, You know, it's always like this, maybe next week, or maybe by the time this airs, you'll be in a different role. Um, but I want to talk about your current role. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, you know, as an, as an accountant, we know you have been an accountant, but tell us a little bit about your role now, how you got there. I mean, it, it will make sense given the conversation we've just had, but tell us a little bit about that. How did you get that role? How did it come about? Okay, so in 2016, I was part of the bank's uh, flagship program called the Aspiring CEO program. So mentally, I had made that transition of moving from risk and control specialist roles to a more leadership type role. And largely because in my risk and control roles, I had equipped myself with a number of leadership capabilities, whether it was change management, people management, finance management, or you know, introducing new technology, new process, et cetera. So I had built that experience alongside that technical knowledge of risk and control. So Landing myself in the aspiring CEO program was the first time I'd rewired my thinking, saying that could be a career path that I want to take. I also recollect telling my family and almost every senior member in the organization that my next role will be a COO role. So I knew that it was not just rewiring myself, it was to rewire everyone else's thinking so that when they think of Anjana, she's not just a risk and control expert. She is someone who has gained so much more out of those experiences that she is, you know, got the credibility to actually establish herself as a COO candidate. So doing that, I mean, it took me almost four years to land this job because my sponsor again, whom I've said, whom I'm known for the last 15 years, Someone reached out to him saying, I'm looking for a COO of marketing. Do you have someone in mind who can actually fulfill this role in a manner that will be really complimenting? So he recommends my name. And then I get tapped on the shoulder saying, hey, there's a marketing COO opportunity here in the UK. Again, I want to be in the UK because my son is just about finishing his uh, you know, grade 12, he's all set to look at university applications and move. So I'm not necessarily keen on moving out of the UK. Now, having done those moves from India to Hong Kong and the UK, I'm trying to look at some more stability for the family as a whole. And so this opportunity came up and I have never done marketing. And so I'm here in the interview trying to sell myself 
as a first-time COO candidate, but I'm trying to draw all the common features of my experiences. Can I stop you for a moment? This is when all of us go, I can't do it. Uh, I, there's no way. It's, I, I've never done marketing. This doesn't make sense. Maybe they can give me something in the middle. But what does Angela do? I'm looking at it as saying, I haven't done marketing. So I have something new to learn. That's <laughs> going to be fantastic. I've done back office operations and moved to the business. Now moving right in the front will give me that total back to front experience. I'm looking at all the learning opportunity I'm going to get. And I know I need to sell myself for that 75% that I already have that will add value to the marketing capabilities. So I'm doing my interview with selling aspects of what I have done, which focuses on customer data and growth and trying to draw parallels saying how the marketing function also looks at customer data and growth, but with a slightly different lens. And so here I'm being very upfront with our CMO saying, I'm not a marketeer, but I don't believe your COO needs to be a marketer. Your COO needs to be someone who comes with COO attributes. So I'm actually selling myself to be picked up for the skills that I have, knowing very well there are skills that I will learn, which will allow me to grow. Right, so you put them into a bucket. You put your skills I don't have in the 25%, but here I am telling you about the 75% and how it's going to be amazing for you. I love that. So you didn't see it as a limitation. You saw it as a, as a positive, as an asset to that team. Totally. And I knew that there is so much value that I can bring to that team. So they are going to benefit with my inclusion into the team. And I'm going to benefit from learning something completely new and different. So I did bring it about as a win-win situation. The nicest thing I think I had was when my CMO left, she left me a thank you card and she said, uh, I've been the best CEO she's had. And given that that was my first CEO role in an entirely new function, I actually treasure that, that she was actually able to see that 75% value rather quickly because if I had worried about building that 25% upfront, then I wouldn't have been able to demonstrate the 75% that I already had that I could contribute. So there's always that conscious thought process around bring in what you're already good at, establish yourself, and along the way, pick up all the new things that need to make that more holistic. Absolutely. Rather than spending the entire time with your eyes, you know, in the rear view mirror, at this window, at that window, focus on going forward with what the skills you already have. I absolutely love that. Okay, so we, we uh, need to wrap this up now. And I would like to ask you, um, you know, what advice would you have to share for somebody who is somewhere along this journey? Maybe they are newlywed, about to get married and worried about their career. Maybe they have just had a baby and wanting to go back to work. Maybe they are... I been in the same organization for you know a long time and I need some visibility wherever they are in their journey what would your advice be to somebody who is somewhere along the journey that you went on I would say that I mean my scenario could be unique and each one's varies right and some of it could be common for others as well and for most women timing that baby can be a very very important thing in terms of what it does to their career but I'd probably just summarize my three points of what worked for me and like I say it's not you know formulaic but it's definitely something that others can actually look at absorbing because it worked one is do not stop aspiring do not limit yourself to saying this is what I studied to be this is what I should be doing all my life 
think about it as how you're evolving and what you're growing to be because you're a very different person two decades into your career than where you started so don't stop aspiring draw support draw support from your complete network whether it's family whether it's friends your sponsors mentors anyone in the organization just ensure you draw the support when you ask you will get so do not hesitate from reaching out and no is also an answer so it's perfectly fine to acknowledge no also as an answer and excel in the current job you do there is nothing greater than demonstrating your worth through your performance so when you perform in your current job and focus on doing that and being your best you know you are definitely only building your credibility so do not lose sight of having to excel because no one will support you if you are not a performer right and it limit your aspiration if you are not a performer so these three things somehow go hand in hand i love that and i i do have to say i mean I, I, before we wrap up there is something about you that struck me every time you have spoken about a challenge or being thrown in at the deep end your face lights up <laughs> and and i have to say i love that i i i'm going to work on rewiring my brain because a lot of us when we hear challenge our faces you know we lose all that energy but as you said the power of focusing on what is within your control and being positive and, and actually again looking at those curveballs that your father taught you about and actually relishing them and and using them to say okay i'm alive i'm moving forward i'm growing this is why this is happening is definitely something that i'm going to work on um so thank you for sharing that with me and sh- and thank you for sharing you know the gifts and the beauty of relationship and connection in in our journey towards driving towards our success and our ambition and our and, and our growth um, and fulfilling our potential angela it's been an incredible uh, hour and i'm so grateful for your time and i'm sure we will speak again soon and share again soon Thank you so much Michelle. I've really enjoyed it as well. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.